When our, we are in our fourth week of a sermon series called Good News with an exclamation point, and we've been focusing on the gospel in this series. The word gospel means good news, if you uh, translate it. And news is something that you know, we read about in the paper, we hear uh, on, the, on the TV or read on the Internet. And so news is about something that's happened, something that happened uh, in the past that now we're hearing about um, today or you know, however many um, years later or months later or days later, hours later. News is about an event that happened. And in this case, it's the good news about um, who God is and what he's done in and through Jesus Christ. And from this news, we learn about who we are. And when we trust in Jesus, um, we now learn about what's true of us. And uh, we're going through this series because our world has changed. And our world is always changing, but this year um, we're experiencing this uh, global pandemic and uh, amongst other things. And we need to know, okay, our world has changed, but who God is and who we are because of him hasn't. And two Sundays ago, we talked about who we are as beloved children of God the Father. And last week we talked about who we are as servants of Jesus, God the Son. Um, he's our King who gave his life and now for us and served us. And now we are servants of him who have already been loved and served. And now we serve and love as servants as well. And this Sunday we're going to focus on our identity as messengers empowered by the Holy Spirit. And uh, the word in the Bible that's more often used instead of messengers um, is witnesses, that we are witnesses of something. And if we think about um, what witnesses um, means, it's, we can think about when you, when you call to the witness stand in a court trial, when, if you'd be called in you know, by a judge or something like, okay, we're going to bring you up as a witness, it's when you've seen something or when you've heard something that's pertinent to that case of like, okay, we want you to come in here and we, what did you see? What did you hear? And that you can tell us that'll help in this case. And it's to come bear witness or give your testimony about something. You've seen something happen, you can tell others about it. And Jesus would agree with this definition. Um, when he was talking to his disciples after his resurrection, uh, in Luke chapter 24, he says this. He says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. And so Jesus' disciples knew Jesus as the Christ. They were with him for three years, um, in close uh, you know, contact with him for three years, and a bunch of them probably knew him before that, because uh, they lived around him in the area of Galilee. And they, so they knew him as the Christ. They confessed him, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the king we've been waiting for. And then they saw him suffer, like he says, and then they saw him alive again three days later from the dead. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. There's an event that happened, and you are witnesses of the event. Because they saw it, they could be witnesses to now be called to tell others about what they saw and what they heard and experienced. But this wasn't all that they needed. They, this wasn't all that they needed in order to be Jesus' witnesses. He says, wait a second, he says, he goes on to say, in verse 49 of Luke 24, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So he says that you need to wait, he says, wait for me to send the promise of my Father. You need to wait to be clothed with power from on high, power from heaven. So he says, you have seen these things, but wait. 
You're not ready to be my witnesses yet. You've seen stuff, but that's not all that you need in order to be my witnesses. And then he says something similar in Acts 1.8, Luke's follow-up book. Luke, uh, one of the a later disciple of Jesus um, writes the book of Luke, which is about Jesus' life when he was on earth. And then the book of Acts is about the early church after Jesus was resurrected and ascended. He, that's kind of his follow-up book that he writes. And it's a, like the, you know, the sequel. So in Acts 1.8 that we read, he says, uh, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the, 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 he said you're going to be clothed from power on high, and now he makes it specific. You're going to receive power, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the disciples were to be his witnesses, and they needed to wait to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in order to be those witnesses. And after Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the disciples began to be witnesses to people telling him about Jesus' death and resurrection. Look, this is what we've seen. We've seen Jesus' life. We've seen his death, his resurrection. He's the one we've all been waiting for, and people came to believe. And it didn't just stop with those original disciples, like, okay, we're the people that saw it firsthand, but the people that came to believe through him, they started to spread out and say, we're told in Acts, especially in Acts 8, these people that came to believe through the original witnesses started then to proclaim, look, we've come to believe in Jesus too. They these people that heard about Jesus from the original disciples, they received the Holy Spirit, and now they're going out and being witnesses. They're proclaiming Jesus to other people too. And it kept spreading and spreading and spreading, and what started in Jerusalem continued to the end of the earth, as Jesus said it would, down through the centuries, all the way to us today. So the reason that you are a believer in Jesus today is because of what started in Jerusalem then, that they were faithful to witnessing to Jesus and because the Holy Spirit was sent. The only reason that any of us could be a believer is because they were faithful and because the Holy Spirit came on them. But what was so important about the Holy Spirit? If, if they had seen everything they needed to see in order to be witnesses and give their testimony, why do they need to wait for the Holy Spirit? To answer that, we need to consider who we are without the Holy Spirit. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do in us uh, that helps us be witnesses? And I've got, Bob, you want to be my volunteer? You know, we're really going to have to up your salary. Add another zero. Add another zero to what you're getting paid. You know, because you're getting paid zero, so it's like, anyway. You'll get, you'll get that joke tomorrow, maybe. I don't know. So, so, we, so we'll focus on, you know, this is the same sheet. The picture is just as bad, maybe worse because it's getting faded, but my picture on my whiteboard is just, it's still here. So we, the issue with, we may see what Jesus has done, you know, died on the cross, so we may see what he's done. You've, you've suffered and you've died. We may see it, but we don't get it because the disciples saw it but they didn't get it. And Jesus told them over and over again that he was going to die on the cross. I'm going to go to this, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to go to this cross. And they just didn't get it. They was like they just they almost like didn't hear it and then they see it happen and they still don't get it. It's not like Jesus dies on the cross. If you read the gospels, he doesn't die on the cross and they're like, "Oh my gosh. This is amazing. Our sins are forgiven." What do they do? They all go and they hide. They're scared. They, they run away. The, none of them are celebrating and rejoicing like, oh, we're forgiven of our sins. 
Jesus died on the cross. This is amazing. All what? What do they? How do they interpret it? They all are like, our leader died. It's over. And they're probably going to do the same thing to us. They killed our leader, the guy we thought was our king, that we thought was going to be on the throne in Jerusalem. And now they're probably going to kill, kill us because we are part of his group. And the religious leaders saw him die on the cross. And they didn't get it. They're like, okay, we did it. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to get him out of the way. The soul, all these soldiers who were part of it saw him die on the cross. And they didn't get it. They're like, oh my gosh. This guy died for our sins. This is great. Nobody's saying this guy died for our sins on the cross. They're all just seeing some guy died on the cross, just like a bunch of other people died on crosses in that day. But Jesus said, I'm giving my life to save people. I'm giving my life as a ransom for many. God has sent me from heaven. And the cross is where we look and we see our salvation. But when the disciples looked at the cross, what they saw was defeat. Their leader was dead. They didn't see salvation. And so... Where were they looking for salvation if they didn't see it on the cross? After telling them he was going to suffer many things and die, Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, this is a key passage for what it means to be a disciple. He said in Mark chapter 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So the key phrase there, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever would save his life will lose it. And so the default mode for all of us is that we're trying to be our own saviors. We are trying to save our own life. He said, if you're trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you're trying to be your own savior, you're going to lose your life. You're going to fail at being your own savior. We're trying to save ourselves. We're trying to make ourselves right with God. We're trying to earn our own salvation. We're trying to figure it out on our own. And that's why Jesus says the first step in coming after him is deny yourself. If you're going to have him be your savior, you first have to deny yourself as your savior. Okay, I'm not going to be my own savior. I have to deny myself. I have to stop being my own savior in order to make him my savior. If we're going to be saved, we need to stop trying to save ourselves. You know, if you and you have to turn to him and say, I need to lose my life to him. I need to deny myself to lose my life to him, to give it to him and trust it to him. And so what do we believe about ourselves without the spirit? If the spirit doesn't come to us, what do we believe about ourselves? And if you want to fill it in here, who who am I? Who what do I believe about myself? It's that I am my own savior. If I'm going to be saved, I need to save myself. I need to make myself right with God. If God's going to accept me, I need to do this. I am my own savior. Or we try to figure out some way to do it. We look to ourselves for salvation. Either whether it's we're going to make it happen or we need to find some way to do it. And it's, we just don't look to God to it for it. And the question is, what kind of fruit does this produce? What kind of, you know, up here in the tree, like what, if we're looking to ourselves as like, I'm my own savior, what kind of stuff does that produce in our life? What kind of behaviors and attitudes? Well, it depends on, on if you think you're a, very, a good or a bad savior. Like, are you doing a good job at saving yourself or a bad job at saving yourself? And there's kind of three options. Maybe when, you, when you're looking to yourself as your own savior, maybe you look at yourself and you're like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm doing a good job at this. Like, 
I'm, I kind of, I'm making myself right with God, and I'm doing a pretty good job at saving myself. When God looks at me, like, he's seeing, like, yeah, he's got it going, going well. But then, what kind of fruit is that going to produce in your life? You're going to be self-righteous, judgmental, probably hypocritical, and, like, think you have it all together. So it's going to be, like, often Jesus was criticizing the Pharisees in the Bible for this. Because they looked at their self, they're earning their own righteousness, and they were self-righteous, they're judgmental, and he called them hypocrites because they didn't see, they had all these blind spots about where they were missing it. They felt like they were doing a pretty good job of being their own saviors. And so they felt like they had it all together. And so they were looking down on other people. They're like, oh, you know, thank God I'm you know, not like these other people that don't have it all together. Like, I'm doing a good job at saving myself. And so what kind of witnesses are they going to be? If they're, you know, if we feel like I'm doing a pretty good job at saving myself, what kind of witnesses for Jesus are we going to be? We're going to come to people and say, well, and we're going to feel like we have all the right answers, and we're going to kind of lecture people, probably like, you know, here's what you need to do, and here's what here's what I've done uh, to get right with God, and here's what you need to do to get right with God. That's what we're going to be as witnesses. And you can see Paul fought against people. I mean, Jesus was fighting against people like this all the time. Like, you need to humble yourself. You need to look for God's mercy. And stop, you know, picking pieces of specks out of other people's eyes, and stop judging people. And Paul fought against people like this. Read the book of Galatians. Uh, he says you're pulling people away from grace. You're adding human effort to the cross. He says, and that removes the offense of the cross. The reason the cross is offensive is because it takes all human effort out of it. He says they're removing the offense of the cross. And so read Galatians, and you see Paul just going crazy. He's like Galatians. You guys accepted Jesus dying on the cross, and now you're moving away from that to add human effort to it. And so there's two more, and these next two, I mean, I honestly struggle with this first one, um, but I also struggled with the next two as well. And so, you know, as we go through these, think, you know, where am I on in these? The next one, when they're thinking, when you think about, uh, am I a good savior or not, the next one looks at themselves Am I doing well at saving myself? And they think, well, I need to be better. Because the first one looks at themselves and they're like, I'm doing pretty good. And this one looks at themselves and they're like, I need to be better. And so often the fruit in their life is uh, feeling stressed, anxious, uptight, worried, cranky, probably short and harsh. It's kind of like, I, I need to do, I'm, I'm trying to save myself, but I'm just need to do better. It's just not going well. I need, I'm need. i falling short of it. And so stressed, anxious, uptight, you know, kind of like, you know, every, like everything, I'm, it's just not going well. So it's kind of like this, I feel like I'm falling short. There's kind of like this insecurity. So there's this anxiousness and stress and uptight and worried. And probably like, because they're uh, stressed, you're just this uh, short with people and insecure. And so then uh, the, this last one is when they're tr trying to be own savior, look at themselves, and they're like, and there's despair because they're like, I am totally failing at this. There's no way I could save myself. And so there's just despair. Like, I'm, I can't be my own savior. And so then the fruit is just kind of apathetic. I'm just not, what's the point? I might as well just go deeper into not caring might as well just live however I want, or just kind of like do nothing. Like it's almost like a depression of like I might as well just either like depression, do nothing, or well, I might as well just go off, go off the deep end. Might as well just sin more. Like I'm already here. There's no way I'm going to be saved. Might as well just sin more. What's the point? 
And so these, these last two, to look at the self and be like, I just need to be better, or look at self and despair, what's, the, what's their witness going to be like, the fruit of witness? Well, it's going to be very afraid of what other people think because it's like, well, I'm not a great savior, and there's a lot of insecurity, or I look at themselves in despair, and there's a lot of insecurity. They're witnessing me. I'm really afraid of what other people think because it's like, I don't have anything together, so like I need other people's approval and afraid of doing it wrong, need to have the right answers, don't want to, you know, they're afraid of, what if this person doesn't like me, or they'll be mad at me or reject me because there's a lot of insecurity there. And they're very afraid of what they're going to lose because it's like, well, I'm still trying to figure this out. Like, I'm not saved. I'm not right with God. And so it's like, well, I'm, if I don't do this right, what's that going to mean about my relationship with God? And so they're so very afraid of that. And neither of these are going to be good witnesses because they're focused on themselves. Because they're very much like, well, I'm, I'm very worried about myself and other people. And they're maybe even trying to share Jesus. But the spotlight is on them because they're more worried about how they're doing and how they're being perceived rather than about making Jesus known. Like, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? I'm trying to save myself and I'm worried about what this other person thinks. And before receiving the Spirit, you can see that the disciples are like this. They, they were bad witnesses. They were focusing on themselves. At times they felt like they were better than other people because they're close to Jesus. I mean, there's like needy people coming up and they're like, you don't bother Jesus. Or they're like, or people rejected Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, you want us to call down some fire on this place and just kind of get rid of these people? And Jesus is like, whoa, okay, like, that's not how we're going to do this thing. They're like, because there's times when they felt like the in crowd, and they're like, well, okay, we're better than people because we've found salvation. We've found it. We're on this in crowd with Jesus. So there's sometimes they felt like they're better than people. And then you also, and then they're arguing about who's the greatest. They're fighting with each other. They're worried about status. So there's times when they're like, yeah, you know, we're, we're doing, we're, we figured the salvation thing out. They're not humble. And then there's other times when they're very insecure. They're afraid of other people. They all, at the end, they all ran and abandoned Jesus when the pressure came. Even Peter, who said he'd go to prison and death with Jesus, denied him, even knowing him. And so they all, they had, they both were bad witnesses. And so think about your own life as a witness. And I'm, I'm sure you've all wanted to share Jesus with others. But where would you put yourself? Have you felt at times where it's like, I had all the right answers and I was just kind of telling people what to do and people were really turned off by that. It's like, I've got this thing figured out and I'm just like, here's what you need to do. This is how you need to believe. This is how you got to get your life right. And people are like, oh, I'm kind of turned off by that. And if, or if you have other times when you're like, I just really want to tell this person about Jesus, but you're just so insecure that you're like, I don't, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want them to reject me. I'm afraid I don't have all the right answers. Like, what if I don't know what to ask? What if it's not the right timing? What if... What if I lose the relationship? Or what if, you know, what if you're, you're just asking all these things and you're so insecure that you never make it happen? And have, which, which one have you been in? Where have you, where have you felt uh, that you've been in that and trying to be your own savior? But what does this reveal they're believing about God? Going down further on the tree. When we believe, we have to save ourselves. We're not secure in what God has given us. We're believing that God loves us based on what we do. In, in order to be right with God, we need to do everything right. In order to be accepted by God, we need to be acceptable. In order to be good with God, we need to do, need to do good. And so what do we believe God does? Well, God loves me based on what I do. God commands. God expects. God condemns. God punishes. God doesn't help. God uh, doesn't save. And so who is God? 
there's typically if we're if we're living in this way of like you know I'm I've found salvation and I've figured it all out or you know we're just in this very insecure place uh, it's usually we're thinking of God as a judge that we're trying to save ourselves and we're only seeing him as a God and it, it's as a judge and it's true God is a judge and God is just and it's true that God does command holiness and God does command righteousness and he expects us to obey him and it's also true that God condemns sinners and punishes those punishes those who break his law however it's not true that God doesn't help it's not true that God doesn't save we need to turn from this view of God as God only a judge we need to turn from this view and see well what is true about God what has God revealed himself to be we need to believe the good news of what is actually true about him we need the Spirit to do that. We can't believe what's true about Him without the Spirit. The Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to see the meaning of the cross because uh, the cross shows us what God is like. And so what does the cross reveal to us about God? What does you know, Paul kind of summarize his message in 1 Corinthians? He's like, I've known nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was like, so what is Christ crucified? Christ is the uh, an Old Testament term coming from the Old Testament, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. What does the king crucified mean? What does that reveal to us about God? So what's true about God? <clears throat> well, God is just. And so in the cross, we see what we deserve. When we look at the cross, when we look at Christ crucified, we see what we deserve. God is just. And if we were to look at uh, Romans 3.23 we see that there's no distinction for we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, the cross, God is just. This is the punishment we all deserve, is that we all deserve death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Separation from God, not eternal life, eternal death. That we, none of us deserves it. Everyone, without exception, has fallen short. So the cross shows us this is what we deserve for our sin. But it also shows us God is gracious. So the cross shows us God is just. The cross shows us God is gracious. So on the cross, we see what we deserve. But because God is gracious, we see what we deserve paid for by Jesus. We see what we deserve paid for by Jesus. We get the opposite of what we deserve. That's what the cross shows us. And so Romans 3.23 it says this, there's no distinction. There's no distinction between people. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But it goes on and says this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so the cross shows us God is just, that this is what you deserve, but also shows us God is gracious, that Jesus gets what we deserve in our place. That God is gracious that we get the opposite of what we deserve because Jesus took it. And so now we get to be freed from what we deserve and because somebody else paid it in our place. So the third thing the cross shows us is that God is love. <clears throat> John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then 1 John 4, 8-10 says, 
Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So two passages where propitiation was mentioned and defined it a couple weeks ago, or last week too, I think, um, that propitiation was a sacrifice uh, that removed uh, wrath. And you can think about, uh, or it pacifies wrath, which is kind of helpful because, you know, pacifiers, baby pacifiers, think about babies when they're really mad. It's like they kind of have wrath. They're like, ah, and then a pacifier, like, oh, pacifies them, makes them calm. And so... Uh, Propitiation is something that pacifies wrath. And so it's a sacrifice that's like God has just and righteous anger uh, towards evil and sin and rebellion against his goodness and against him. And so a sacrifice is something that pacifies that, that meets the justice required for it. And Jesus was that, is that it, it was the we deserve that punishment. It's like there's a just punishment for our rebellion against him. And so punishing us, the penalty for our rebellion is like, okay, there should be a punishment for that. And But then Jesus takes our place. And so that's what justice required. And so God is just, God is gracious, God is love. We see that all on the cross, that the cross, we see the intersection of God's justice, love, and grace. When we look at Christ crucified, we see a holy God who takes sin seriously. He doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. And our, our sin is deeply offensive to him. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't just say, oh, you know, that's okay. Uh, we'll just give you a mulligan. We'll just, we'll kind of just call it, we'll kind of call it good. And I'll just let you, you know, we'll just be good. And I'll let you in heaven anyway. And we'll just, we'll just call it good. When we rebel against him, he doesn't just say that. He, evil and wickedness and lawlessness and unrighteousness must be punished. And we should be happy about that. When, you, when wrong is done to you in this world, you do not want to go to the judge and be like, hey, my house got robbed, or somebody, you know, murdered somebody in my family. You don't want the judge to be like, well, you know, it's okay. Let's just let him get off the hook. You should say, what are you talking about? I was wronged. We don't want God to do that in our world, so we shouldn't want him to show favor, special favors to us and say, you know, you all just let you off the hook because we don't want him to do that to somebody else who's wronged us in this world. And so God holds us accountable for that. And so somebody has to pay for it. God's law is broken. There's a penalty. And he puts that on Jesus. At the same time, we see the cross. At the cross, we see this radical grace because somebody, God's willing to pay the penalty for our sin himself. We see a merciful God who wants to forgive. We see a generous God who's offering us pardon. We see When we see uh, Christ crucified, we see God giving Jesus what we deserve so that we can get the opposite of what we deserve. We deserve death, but Jesus died in our place so we can have life. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That what we deserve is death, but what we get as a free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And therefore, in Christ crucified, we see a God of amazing love, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so what do we see about, if that's God, what do we see about ourselves at the cross? 
Now, if you're here today and you're believing that Jesus died for you, this is where we get to the Holy Spirit. You may be wondering, I thought this was about the Holy Spirit today. It's not about Jesus. Well, that's a good thing. Because if you're here today believing that Jesus died for you, you can only believe that because of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, Jesus' death is just another death. People die every day. They've been doing it for all of human history. Many other people even died in the same way as Jesus died, crucified on a cross. In fact, two men were crucified next to Jesus the very same hour on the very same day in the same way that Jesus was crucified. And so what makes Jesus' death special? What makes Jesus' death special to you? Why do you think that his death was a death for your sins? This guy that died 2,000 years ago, who cares? Why do you care about it? Lots of people don't. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 that without the Spirit, the message of the cross sounds like foolishness. It's a stumbling block to Jews, he says, and it's foolishness to Gentiles. But with the Spirit, it's a message of salvation. We hear it as the wisdom of God and the power of God. The Spirit enables us, he says, to understand the things freely given us by God. And so other people, without the Spirit, look at it and they say, just some guy. Who, who, who cares? Like, he was rebelling against Rome and religious leaders got mad and they organized this thing and he died and he got thrown in the grave somewhere and he's rotting. Who cares? But then, but then when, with the Spirit, we look at it and say, oh my gosh, what is, God has freely given us eternal life. He's opened up a relationship with Him. And we say, now I can be with Him forever. I can know Him now and have forgiveness and everything that He wants to give me. We can understand what God has freely given us by the Spirit. So this, you know, there's that song, uh, um, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Which is true, but you would only ever believe that if it was the Spirit, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Spirit tells me so as well, is that there's a ton of people that read the Bible, and it's like, well, I don't really believe Jesus loves me, who cares? Like, the, a lot of people love me, and I don't believe like, that criminal crucified next to Jesus loves me, but Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and the Spirit also testifies to me within me. And so the idea for today is this, uh, the Spirit enables us to see that Jesus died for me, that we can see that death that Jesus died on the cross, that was for me. It's almost like a proposal. It's like, you know, if you're sitting in a basketball game or whatever, and some guy proposes, or you had down on the court, it's like, you're not like, oh my gosh, he's proposing to me. It's like, no, you're looking around and be like, who's he proposing to? It's like, Jesus on the cross, it's like, we're compared to husband and wife. Paul says, we're husband and wife. Jesus is like the, the husband to the wife as the church. And it's like, you don't only see that as his proposal to us of loving us and giving his life for us through the Spirit. And it's like, that guy down on the basketball court, it's like, the, whoever he's proposing to is just locked in. Like, oh my gosh, why is my boyfriend on the basketball court? Oh my gosh, he's proposing to me. It's like, we the Spirit enables us to see... That's Jesus dying for me 2,000 years ago. That's him loving me, giving himself for me. And now us seeing, like, that's how much he loves me. My, all my sin was on him there. And he's, it's all there on the cross, and he's doing it for me there then. And at the cross, you see Jesus beaten, mocked, shamed, 
stripped naked, alone and dead. In, in other words, you see what you deserve. Otherwise, you're just like, oh, just some guy. You don't see anybody else dying and say, that's what I deserve. It's like you see Jesus. That's what I deserve. You see the penalty for your sin. At this cross, you see the ugliness of your sin, what your sin does to you and to other people and where it's leading you. You see all your sin out in the open. You see your mess out in the open. You see it exposed for what it is. Horrid and disgusting and gruesome. And it's like you know, those old smoking commercials where they'd make someone all burned up and charred and they'd put tar on them and say, if only you could see on the outside what's happening on the inside. And that's what the cross is. It's showing you physically what your sin is like spiritually and what it's doing to you. And at the same time, you see the justice that you deserve for it. Taking care of, you see all your sin there and God taking care of and paying for it. And Jesus bore it all and Jesus died for it all and Jesus paid for it all. Not half of it, not part of it, not some of it. Jesus paid for all your sin, the death you deserve. And so what it means for us is when we look at it, we, what does it mean for me? It's that Jesus, all my sin, is all taken care of. And we say, well, what am I? I'm free. I'm free of it. I'm free of the penalty. It's all out there. There's nothing to be afraid of. Yes, I've fallen short. And yes, my sin is bad, but there it all is. There it all is taken care of right there in front of me. None of it's left for me to take care of. The cross shows us God's justice has already been satisfied for my sin by his radical grace. So now I'm free to enjoy his amazing love. I'm free. Everything we're afraid of God, that God will do to us because of our sin has already been done to Jesus. And we see it there. And the Spirit is one who enables us to see it. And when Jesus talked about the Spirit to his disciples, he said the Spirit is going to come as a witness to you. When Paul talked about the Holy Spirit, he said the Spirit testifies, is testifying to you. And before we're ever witnesses, the Holy Spirit comes to us as a witness to testify to us. He witnesses to us about what Jesus has done on the cross. He witnesses to our adoption as sons and daughters. After the disciples receive the Spirit, you see this radical change. They're no longer fighting about who's the greatest and they're no longer afraid of people go read the book of acts there's, there's a complete different change from the end of luke to the beginning of acts after they receive the spirit now they're no longer bickering and fighting about who's the greatest they're just testifying about jesus and to what he's done longer fighting with each other afraid they become confident and bold and we mostly live our lives thinking i'm i'm a pretty good person or we're feeling bad that we aren't good enough and we try to live like Jesus didn't have to die for us most of the time we try to live as if you know trying to like well it'd be nice if I could just kind of do this on my own like Jesus did, wouldn't have had to die and if I could do that that'd be good or we feel bad that Jesus died it's like well God knows that he, Jesus had to die we try to live like Jesus didn't have to die for us. And, and that's the disease of looking at ourselves. And the Spirit, His ministry, what He does in us is to take our eyes off ourselves and put them on Jesus. And the Spirit desires for us to live from the love God freely gives us as His sons and daughters to live from our new identity. And without Him, we are we're bad witnesses because we make it about us. And the Spirit is the first and the best witness because without him, 
witnessing to our salvation. We're just trying to save ourselves, and we make it about us. We make witnessing about us because we are either boasting in the salvation we found or we're insecure about what people think, about whether we're doing it well enough because we're finding salvation in, you know, if what they think of us or how well we're doing, and we're just insecure. But witnessing is done best when it's an overflow of joy from seeing Jesus as the only one who saves. My salvation is found in him. And so the disciples go out and it's like, it's, it's all been taken care of. I'm secure in Christ. I'm secure before God. What more do I have? And the Holy Spirit is the great convincer. He's the, he convinces us that Jesus is our only Savior and that his death was for us and that it paid for all our sin. And this means that if he's the great convincer, it means it's not our job to convince people. He's the one who convinced us, right? And so it's not our job to convince people. It's just our job is to tell people. And if uh, the less we're convinced that Jesus is the only way we were saved, the less we'll be convinced that he's the only way for other people to be saved. And the more we'll look to ourselves for salvation. And the less we're convinced that Jesus is the only way that we were saved, the less we'll talk about him. And the less we're convinced Jesus is our Savior, the more self is going to dominate our conversations with others. And when we have the cross, when the Spirit is putting our eyes on Jesus, we have the cross, Jesus crucified, that that's how I was saved. We have nothing to lose because we've been found by the one who matters most, that he's taken care of all of it. You know, it's, all my sin is there, it's all taken care of. And now before God, it's like, well, I have nothing left to lose with anybody around me. So, I just want to return to the image that we've been using other weeks, is that the Spirit as a witness, we have this sponge, and it's like, I have to save myself. And if we go into witnessing and being messengers with an empty sponge, it's just not going to go well, because it's like, okay, I'd like save myself, and so it's not like, okay, like I'm going to tell you how I filled up my sponge, or whatever, or we come in empty, it's going to be like, well, you know, it's kind of like we're insecure, but the Spirit's desire as a witness is wanting us to put our eyes on Jesus so that we're filled up, and so the Spirit as a community, we witness as a community, He wants to just fill us up. So imagine how different that would be as we're relying on the Spirit, letting Him witness to us, putting our eyes on Jesus so that we can uh, feel and experience like my salvation is totally found in Jesus, that my standing before God I'm a son, I'm a daughter, fully loved, not based on what I do. And now we come into conversations and it's not like, oh, I have to do this totally right. I have to, you know, it's all based on me and I have to like convince this person. It's just like, oh, I'm just squeezing out whatever, you know, this, well, I'm just filled up by like, man, I have nothing to lose. It's all, salvation and we just come in it's just flowing out of us because we've been filled up you know, both as a community um, and as individuals let's pray father would you let us hear the voice of the spirit testifying to us getting our eyes off ourselves onto Jesus and testifying that we are your children your sons and daughters loved by you in his name we pray. Amen.